0: Over the years we've seen a lot of people become interested and a lot of Rabbanim begin to get interested in the T'chelet. And we're particularly pleased that we have a guest with us today, um, Rabbi Halberstam from Lakewood, New Jersey. Uh, rabbi Halberstam is a posek, rabbi of a community there in Lakewood. He is the author of a Sefer Chachma Nachala, which is a very unique approach in understanding, um, uh, understanding um, uh, Sefer I forgot to write down Kohelas. Thank you very much. And um, he is a man that obviously is looking for truth in MS because he's come to look at Helen in a slightly different way than most of his peers. And we're very, very pleased and honored that you're with us. And we ask you to please come up and, and speak. Thank you. First, thank my friend, Dr. Sturman, for inviting me. Thank the Maradah Asra, the Billet, for your warm words. And the whole Kehillah Belisheh, for coming together for this fascinating event. We say, by the davening, Talmideh Chachomim Marbim Sholom ba'olam." We all know that Talmideh Chachomim are always fighting. There's Melcham shel Toiveh. So what does it mean, Marben Shalom I once saw the Ramchal, Meshacham nitzate. he talks about sometimes we find sharp words in the Gemara from one Amora to the next. And he says that the Yiddish Neshama knows the Torah. The Yiddish Neshama is a part of the Rabbeinu Shalom. It doesn't need to be taught the Torah. So, why is it that we sit down to learn and we don't know and we struggle to know the Emes? That's because of the extraneous parts that aren't rooted in the Torah that are attached to us. It comes from our character flaws from the Eight Sahara, it comes from some societal things which aren't rooted in the Torah. And when we come into Bismedrish, the goal is to try to do away with all of that baggage. And to study the Torah, ki heim chayenu, that's our very essence. The Torah is our essence and we're studying ourselves. We're cleansing ourselves of those things which get in our way of knowing the Torah. So sometimes a person doesn't see which character flaws and which mistakes are stopping him from knowing the Gemara. And a friend can enlighten him because his friend doesn't have the same issues exactly. As he does. And therefore, it's not that they're fighting with one another, he says. They're joining one another to help each other in their fight against the Yetzirah who's preventing them from connecting to the Rabbinah Shilohim. So when we come into Bishmedrish, that's when we're all the same. That's when it's our common goal... Because it's our goal, we all have the same goal. All we want is to know what the Reboinu Shiloyim is telling us to do. And I was Zoyche to be very closely connected with one of the great Poiskim, my grandfather of Rocha, who was a Poisk still in Europe, and then he came here and he was a Rosh Bezden, and he wrote Shail Tshuves, and I, when I was 17, I was present when a delegation came to him from one of the big kehillas, which has many thousands of members. And they were inviting him to become their chief dying. I wasn't privy to the conversation. I was a boy of 17. They had a discussion. But my grandfather refused. And I asked him why. So he said, when I sit down to deliberate over a shaila." There cannot be anything else besides the sources and the issues and whatever goes into the equation. But when a person is a chief rabbi of of such a kehile, sometimes there might be issues, which might be heavy issues somehow connected to the kehile or connected to a prominent member of the kehile. And I might have this feeling somehow of pressure to sway in a particular direction. So it's not worth it. Because before my grandfather, all of the COVID and all of the money in the world wasn't worth to adulterate his psak and have anything that would maybe get in his way of seeking only the emes. So that's my glimpse into the mind of a Paisic. And particularly when it comes to the issue of Tcheles, it's... It's, it's a very difficult issue for many people and many people have strong feelings about it. As we heard from Rav billet Schlite, people have a hard time changing. It's naturally, it's correct. We should have a hard time changing. Our Yiddishkeit is based on the Messeure, but it prevents us from being able to properly be done on this Shai. So the first point that I would like to make is that when you are done on the Shailah, you have to do your very best to put all your biases aside. For me, change is very... It's not, it's not something I want to do. The Ramah brings from the Mahagil in Hilchis Yom Kippur that the Chazin should not even change a niggun that the Kehil is used to singing because it might confuse the people. And we're talking about changing something as major as this. Let me tell you something. Back in Lakewood, there's, a, there's a quite, quite a big to-do about it. I'll say that there is some confusion. And it's not something I want to do. But we have to put that aside. The Man Emes. And I want to go through a couple of points. And the first point... I want to go over is, why should we change? What is the value of this? Why is it so important that it's worth coming out and making such a prominent statement? Second of all, we already heard about the issue of B'Soyre from the Beis HaLevi. So how do we deal with that? Third of all, how is this different from the Razina? A lot of people ask me, they say, listen, you know, the Razina. He was a tremendous Talmud Chachem. He wrote Sforim, not only on Tcheles, a tremendous Talmud Chachem. And later, many proved him wrong, apparently. I mean, there might be some people who still hold on to the idea that the Radzina Tcheles is correct. I'm not going to get into the details of the discussion of that. But basically, most the, the major consensus is that he was not correct. So now we come and we say, we think we discovered the trails. Do we think we're cleverer than the Ratzina? Maybe some, in some later time, we're going to be disproven. What is the difference between what we're doing and what the Ratzina did? And what are our proofs that this is correct? The other question people ask me is some of the things that we use to show that this is correct is there is some archaeological evidence which we might hear about, I believe, from Dr. Sturman. Um, is that something that's admissible into Bismedrish? Do we paskin from archaeology? And finally, I want to discuss an issue that everybody knows, Hazal tell us, the Tcheles was Nignaz. It was hidden away from us. And it seems that it was hidden, it says, Osid L'Ovoi probably refers to the times of Mashiach, Mashiach didn't come yet, the Bismikdash is not yet built. So it would seem that Chazal tell us we're not going to have it, so how could we think we have it? So let's go to the first point. The reason that we should embrace this topic to begin with is because it's a mitzvah. It says in the Torah, Osul lohem tzitzis, al Kanfe begdem they should put on tzitzis. And just like there's a khiv to put tzitzis onto our talis, the same way there's a khiv, part of the mitzvah, one of the protei mitzvah is to put on tzitzis. It's not optional, it's mandatory. And the Yomara tells us that if it's available to us, and we don't put it on, there's an oynish. Just like there's an oinish for somebody who doesn't put on sits altogether. Yamar actually says that when it comes to a kiyim of a mitzvah saseh, if a person refuses to be Mikhaim a mitzvah, we force him to be Mikhaim the mitzvah. The Shagisariah asks kasha in his time, obviously, where there was no idea of putting on tcheles so he asks Akasha, why do we wear a talis we put on a talis we're creating a problem for ourselves if we wouldn't wear a talis then there would be no chiv to have tzitzis but now that we have a talis so we put on the tzitzis of lovan the white streams and we don't have the tcheles so if we don't have it, what's needed let's not put on a talis like if somebody doesn't have tzitzis and he has a talis that doesn't have tzitzis he wouldn't put it on so why should we wear a talis so he says that, no, it's different, because it's an oinus, we don't have tcheles. And the chiv of putting on tcheles only begins after we're already wearing the talis. So when it comes to wearing a talis, which we do because it's a mitzvah, because the love on the white strings in and of itself is also a mitzvah, even if we can't have the tcheles, it's not ma'akiv. So therefore, we put on the talis. But you see from his words clearly that when it is available... Not to have it would be the same as wearing a talus without tzitzis. And on the other hand, supposing that we rule that it is tchevis, and we end up to be wrong. We have the Yeshuas Malkar, Shua Kutner, who talks about the tchevis of the Razina, and he vehemently disagrees. He says that the proofs that the Razina says are only guesses. There's nothing conclusive there to really prove it. But he says that if somebody put it onto his talus, it's not a problem. Lo So it says, though it's regular tzitzis, the da'yiz loyma'aliv So that's why if people say that there is talus, and when I was first approached about this, it was somewhat shocking, and the knee-jerk reaction that everyone has is, ah, Sounds like a far-out idea. We all know we don't have t'cheles. But I was presented this by people for whom I have respect. And therefore I looked into it. And since there are lots of Talmidei Chachamim who are saying that there is something to it, it's not something that we should ignore. And that's the reason that I looked into it and I was done on this subject. Now, in connection to the Shail of Mesoire, we heard the version of the Beis HaLevi that says we cannot do something without a Mesoire. We cannot be Mekayim, a Mitzvah, that we do not have a direct tradition to be Mekayim. Let me first explain how this Tcheles is different than the Ratzina Tcheles. And there's a very Yesoidistic difference between the two. The Ratzina saw certain simonym that the Gemara gives, and he tried to interpret those simonim, and he, he, he decided that the cuttlefish, the, the inkfish, meets those requirements and is correct. It matches the simonim. However, the simanim could be interpreted in many different ways. One of the things he says, is the Gemara says that, gufoi doyme liyom. The body of the chalozoin, which the chalozin is the name of the sea creature that's the source of tehelis, it's similar. It resembles the sea. So Rashi says its appearance, ma'are it, its appearance resembles the sea. Obviously, this is open to interpretation, but the Ratzin interpreted it that that means that it's blue. So he said the cuttlefish is blue. I don't know that the cuttlefish is blue. But he says the cuttlefish is blue. And obviously if someone would say that if there are many other fish in the sea that are blue and maybe we can interpret this differently. So that's, that's the objection of the Yeshua's Malka that it's nothing but a guess. And that's why most of the Yidoilem in his time didn't accept this treles. There is a difference between identifying something through Simonim and identifying something through a direct identification. And let me give you a motion. The Rambam tells us that by Matan Toireh, it says, After this har Sinai, everybody will believe in the Reboimish Elohim and they'll believe in Moshe. So the Rambam says, we already had things which... It says by Kies Yams, by Aminu Bashemmi, the Avdoi. The says there's a difference. He says that when we know something through a proof, through a moifa specificallyly, that still leaves room for a person to doubt it, even if it's a correct proof, and it's a conclusive proof. But people don't see it that way. However, why, what is it? The person says, He eh? is How could that happen? There must be a Rabbi Mishaloyim. I don't know. But maybe a person could start thinking, maybe there's Kishiv, maybe some sort of witchcraft, maybe some sort of a natural event, who knows? The person thinks, I don't know everything, I don't know how everything works. But by Ma'mad al Sinai, we saw with our own eyes and we heard with our own ears, the Rabbi Neshelayim called out Moshe. And we experienced it. We were present, and we experienced the Rabbi Neshelayim himself. So that was clear. It wasn't through proofs. It wasn't from the side. It was direct. So, to give a practical example, if we would have a gathering with 50,000 people, and somebody would say, Can you call out This particular individual, let me describe him to you, he's tall and he has dark hair and he has a fair complexion, etc. Gives him some simonim. And the person goes in, he looks around, uh, he finds somebody and he calls him out. There might be a chance that he gets it right, but I would say there's also a big chance that he gets it wrong because there are probably 200 people there who fit these descriptions and... He might not have understood maybe what he considers a fair complexion is not what he considers a... But if somebody says, you know Mr. So-and-so, can you call him out? Or do you know the person, there's a person sitting in, in row G, seat 17. Uh, call him out. You've directly identified who you're talking about. There's no question that you're going to get it right. The way today we have identified the Murex Trunculus, as being the source of tchelis, is because the Gemara gives one requirement for tchelis, And that is that it should be from something called Chalazin. So in Europe it wasn't known what Chalazin is. But we find many sources, if we do some research, which tell us from the Rishonim and from Chazal, I'm not going to get into them specifically, but the word chalozoi means a snail, as it does, by the way, in Arabic to this very day. Chalazon means a snail. But we find many sources showing that, from Chazal, the bah shnek, which is Yiddish for snail. And snail is a general term of the species which has many different types of snails, And any snail which is in that category is a chaluza, is a chaluzah. And therefore, since that's the only requirement and it does produce this dye, so that's it. Who needs anything more? But there is more. And that's the fact that historically we find that this murex was used in the times of Chazal and over the generations to dye treles. We find it because the Gemara tells us that in the northwest of Eretz Israel, from tzor until Haifa, where today is uh, Lebanon until Haifa, at the coast, that's where we find, that's where they trap the Chalozoyim. And that's exactly where we find it today. And that's where the coins that were minted in that Malchus of tzor of Tyre, depict the image of the Murex Trunculus, also the Murex Brandaris, both Murexes, which were used to die. But we see clearly that these Chalozoins were used in the times of Chazal to die, just around the corner, in Eretz Yisrael. And it's a Chalozoin. And if that's not enough, so we have Gidoi Le'Oilam, who actually said clearly that the purpura. The Murex is the source of Tcheles. Abiyan Kivamton says so. By the way, Abiyan Kivamton, he quotes the history books. He says he takes it from there, amongst other sources. We have Habshamshon of we have the Chavos Yoyer, and others, who clearly identify the Murex as the source of Tcheles. So, to get back to the Shaila of Mesoira, when we need to identify something through simonim. So the simonim are very vague, and they lend themselves to interpretation. And unless we know specifically what the Gemara is telling us, especially these simonim that the Gemara says, it, it's, it doesn't even seem that the Gemara is trying to identify the chalozim, because the, the simonim are not spoken in that context, and they're not very specific one of the simonim that says there is that it, it emerges from the sea once in 70 years. And the Gemara says, the reason I'm telling you that is to explain why it's so expensive. So it's clearly not given as a source of identity. So for that, in order to clearly know that the, what we found does, is what Chazal are telling us, how could we know? We can only guess. So we need a besolver. But if we have something which is pinpointing directly, I don't know if the base HaLevi would have objected to that. And I'm not going to get into an arichis, but I, it seems to me that, that from the halachis of Oifis, which need a misoirah to be kosher, it seems to me from there that such a thing would be considered a misoirah the issue of missoire is that we cannot identify something by simonin but if we're identifying it by direct identification because we because it's been documented or because we have other things which point to it directly not by description which could be vague that would probably constitute a missoire besides which there's no downside So, where we're talking about by Oifes, if a person would be wrong, that's where we find this application in halacha. If a person will be wrong, he'll end up eating something that isn't kosher. And there's no need to eat it. Over here, it's the exact opposite. If he's wrong, there's no harm done. And there is a need to put it on because if it's correct, there's a chiv gomer. So, Then they ask, what types of evidence are admissible into Bismedrish? Is archaeology admissible into Bismedrish? So that's not the only thing I already said. But the answer is, you don't take anybody's word for anything. Even when somebody comes out with a kuntrus, with a pamphlet, where he comes out with either a new kula or a new khumra. And he quotes in certain sources, and you have to look everything up. You have to research everything yourself. If you're a Rav, you can't take anybody's word for anything. And I did that. I had lengthy correspondence with professors of chemistry, with professors of language, in connection to the Chalozoim. Besides the fact that I've gone through every single source that I thought was important on my own, Until I myself was convinced. And I'm thinking maybe this might explain why some of the elder Rabbonim didn't and don't embrace it, because some of the things that I had to do for this research are not things that some of the elder Rabbonim could do. There's even quoted Ibshleim Izalman Aurbach as having said, in connection to this, you gotta be younger to Be able to be done and to paskin on this particular shayla. So then you have the other thing what do the opponents say? Because as much as you think you could rely on your own judgment, <speaking in Hebrew> and I heard shiurim from some of the people who are against it, and from some, I've seen some things written, and I I must say, because that's the purpose of what we've gotten together here for, in my humble opinion, I did not see anything of merit that would discredit this Nurex Trunculus as being the source of Tchelus. And it, it seems to me that they violated rule number one, which was to leave the baggage outside of Bismarck. Because some of the things that they say seem that they had a strong feeling to discredit it and that came before everything else. And it may be colored, if I may use that term, their judgment in this matter. And finally, I want to discuss the issue of nignaz. We know that Chazal tell us that it's been hidden away. So let's take a look at Chazal. There's a Sifri in Parshish Oisabroch. And it says that Rabbi Oysi met an old man and asked him, what is the source of your livelihood? What is your panas? So he said, Chalazun. Is chalozon available? So he said, Yes, there's a place in the sea. But beyond Hamutul Baina Haram, it's situated among the mountains. Whatever that means, the sea, Hamutl ha-harim. And that's where we could find the Muerks. But if you try to get it, there's a creature which is a venomous creature, either some sort of a spider or a serpent, which will sting and kill whoever tries to get it. So apparently it's nignaz, it's hidden away for the tzaddikim, the osed So it seems it's nignaz. But the Mephoshim ask a kasha, because this was written in the times of the Tanoim, and about four and a half centuries later the tzaddikim was still around, because it was around through the entire era of the Amairoim until the Rabbon and So, obviously it wasn't Nigna. So there are several explanations. Rabbi David says that uh, there are two types. There's the finer uh, type of Halozon which is hidden for the Tzaddikim, but the other type that we all used for Tzitzis is still around. If I may offer my own interpretation of the Sifri. And that is, it occurred to me that probably it's spoken by Derech Mushal, Because it seemed, first of all, a contradiction. First he said it's his livelihood, and then we said that it's not available. It's the Tzadikim Lasud Lovoy. So it occurred to me, this Yat that Samomis probably is a kinni It's probably a nickname for Malchus Roimi. So I looked it up, and I found that it's so. several Midrashim say that Samomis means Malchus Edom. And then I figured that Horem probably means kingdoms. And we find that in the Medrash too. Actually it says <speaking> in Tilim, Horim Yamim, says it refers to the kingdoms <speaking> in Mulchem, <Hebrew> Mogoig. So the interpretation of the Sifri is clear. It's his livelihood. Obviously it was being produced for the royalty. But it's not available. Umi <speaking in Hebrew> No, it's not available. Because it's, In the sea, but it's amongst the Horem, it's amongst the kingdoms. And if someone tries to get it, he'll be stung by Malchus Romy, because it was punishable by death. And me'inyin le'inyin, I thought I could interpret maybe what Chazal tell us, that it emerges from the sea once in 70 years, also in a similar way, because we know that Chazal sometimes allude to the fact that there was a decree against the Tcheles because they don't want to say that we're doing something and we're trying to get it when it's against the law. So we find actually another Gemara which shows that. And I see that the Gemara says because it emerges once in 70 years, that's why it's expensive. And I don't understand why it should be expensive. We don't need it to emerge from the sea. The Gemara tells us that that it was trapped with nets in the sea, like any other uh, fisheries. So, I was thinking, "Mm, 70 years, 70 years, where do we have a Chazal about 70 years? And I remember the Gemoran of Oedizorah, Siahat Adishmai, which tells us that the Romans had an event once in 70 years, where they took someone who represents Yaakov, someone who limps, because it says, when he was hit on the thigh by the Malach, and someone who is healthy, who, and they take the complete person, rides on the limping person to show that Esau is on top of Yaakov. And without getting into the detail of the Gemara, it tells us that they said at the end of the event, whoever sees this now sees it, and whoever doesn't, doesn't. And that means because it's not going to happen again in our lifetime. It's once in 70 years. And the Gemara describes the amount of wealth that went into this event. So my understanding is that this was a, Ro- a Roman event and it was the event of a lifetime and everyone probably came in their finest and at that time and in preparation for this event there were probably lots of Chalzoinus being trapped and a lot of textiles being produced with a royal color. And at that time, it was probably more available and easy to obtain than any other time. And that's what the Gemara means. Now, I'm not as sure about this as I am about the Sifri, but I think it's a possible interpretation, at least. So much so that we could say that when the Gemara gives Simonim, we can't conclude one thing or the other. And I'll be Messiah with a Dvar Agoda, a vote that I heard from my son, he asked the kasha. he said that we know that the Golos that we're in now is called Golos Edoim. Because the Romans destroyed the second Bisham and It hasn't been rebuilt yet. And Hazal tell us that there are ten kingdoms in the world. The eighth kingdom is Malchus Edoim. The ninth kingdom is the Melech HaMashiach. The tenth is the same as the first. the So, what, where are we now? The Roman Empire has fallen. Mashiach didn't come yet. It says, Kishazer comes and When this one, Esav and Yaakov, when one rises, the other falls. So they have fallen, we haven't risen. What's going on? So my son said, Yes. It's true that the Roman Empire fell, but their decree is still in force. Because they decreed against Cheles, and it became Nignaz, and it wasn't available and even now that it is available, people are still holding on to Nignas, the decree of Malchus Edom. So as long as their decree is enforced, they haven't completely fallen yet. So the Maqib the final blow against them would be when we do away with Nignas, and we embrace, and we're in the mitzvah of T'cheles, and then maybe we're ready for the next kingdom of the Melech HaMashiach, B'mheri Thanks for listening.